the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Cryptos are in the news again, but for all the wrong reasons. It's been a desperate few weeks for cryptos, with prices plunging through the floor. And on top of that, North Korean hackers made off with millions in crypto, which they tried to offload as fast as possible before prices sank any further. MoneyWeb contributor Paolo Delgado wrote about this last week and how these North Korean hackers made off with $540 million in Ethereum and USD coin in a brazen heist that left the critics saying, yet again, I told you so, cryptos are not to be trusted. This will be of little comfort to those who lost money, but the hack was not on the Ethereum blockchain itself, but on what is called a bridge connecting one blockchain to another. And here's another great irony of the thing. The hackers, thieves might be the better word, could end up with nothing as law enforcement wasted no time zeroing in on the criminals. Helping us to understand what was behind the story is Paolo Delgado, who joins us on the line now. Paolo, welcome. What do we know about this heist so far? This was another serious hack in which crypto was stolen. It doesn't do much good for the reputation of cryptos as an asset class. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. No, it, it doesn't do much good for it. I think uh, mostly in the eyes of, of people who are maybe not familiar with what exactly happened. Um, of course, you have these two different views of crypto, those that are technically involved in the subject and understand what went wrong and how it can be resolved. And then those slightly more on the fringes who don't really get the technology behind it and then see a big hack and go, ah, all of crypto is bad, it's terrible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As you said, the hack was on the bridge. Uh, you know, a bridge is, is to connect one chain to another. Um, Axie Infinity, that was the NFT game that uh, was basically hacked via the bridge. Um, and the reason they decided they have their own blockchain, and, uh, but they wanted to accept Ethereum. And the problem is that, you know, Ethereum transactions are too slow so um, uh, what they did is they developed a bridge to speed up the transactions, which connects their blockchain with Ethereum. Now, bridges are basically the source of uh, a lot of the major hacks that we've seen in the last year. $1 billion has been lost by hacks on bridges. So blockchain technology itself is, is, is incredibly secure. I mean, the Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked. Um, and, and so this was a flaw. And when you trace it back, you start to see where the flaw came from, uh, a little bit of a mistake from the guys at Axie Infinity because they grew too fast, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, you know, um, uh, we, we know a lot about what happened. It's, it's, uh, it was a wake up call and it, it does start posing some questions about what should we do? You know, should, be there, should there be uh, stricter controls, et cetera? But we know a lot about the hack. I mean, the, the uh, American law enforcement pounced on it. They found the North Korean hacker group behind it uh, within, I think, a few days of it being discovered. That same group has also been responsible for something like $400 million of hacks on other uh, I think other bridges or at least other uh, other hacks in the last year. So they found the group. And when they found the group, that's when they started to take the money out because the money was sitting in a wallet that was being removed very slowly. And then once they were outed and then the price of Ethereum started to go down, wow, you know, then this money started to move and $415 million worth of Ethereum was moved within 16 days, which is absolutely unheard of if you want to remain uh, you know, under the radar, if you've committed a big hack, it's unheard of to move so much cash so quickly, but they started to pump it out. I mean, it just, it just showed that they, they, they looked very desperate. 
What is interesting about the hackers, they, they're from North Korea. And of course, it's a place that I certainly know very little about. And um, it, it's one wonders, you know, is this a is this a state organized thing or is this just a bunch of rogue hackers who looking to enrich themselves? Do we know anything more about them? We do. Unfortunately, I don't know so much. The hacker group is called Lazarus Group. I do think I would have to check my facts. I do think they are a state run group. I will not pretend to know more. And they've now been put on uh, the US sanctions group. I don't remember the exact name. They've got a sanctions list. The wallet address has been put on a list. Um, yeah, I, I, with a quick search, there is a lot known about who these guys are, which is another thing that is quite amazing about crypto crime. You know, you can find out a lot about the crooks very quickly, especially with companies like Chainalysis and Elliptic, you know, these um, uh, blockchain analysis companies who have an incredible wealth of data about, uh, you know, crypto addresses, who they belong to, you know, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to monitor the cash movements of like millions of wallets is quite amazing. So we know a lot. I don't know a lot, but we know a lot about who they are. Withdrawals from that protocol over the last few days, and we've seen Bitcoin now dropping to $22,000. People are starting to get worried. But it was, so all of this is like a perfect storm. So many things are hitting at the same time. Just uh, very quickly talk about the, the bridge, because I think people might uh, understand or misunderstand what, what this really is. So you mentioned that Bitcoin and the Ethereum blockchain themselves are very, very secure. These, these are ledgers which record every transaction in great detail, and they can never be changed. Uh, those blockchains are secure, but so what these hackers are doing is they're looking for the weakest link, and that is this bridge or this communication link between one blockchain and another. Is that right? Is there any more you can tell us about that? Sure. I mean, essentially, um, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I know that the Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked itself. Um, I don't know about Ethereum. I think it hasn't. I'm not so sure those facts. Um, the thing what makes what makes Bitcoin and Ethereum so secure is, uh, you know, you've got these um, consensus models basically uh, to validate transactions. Uh, you know, like Bitcoin takes 20 to 10 to 30 minutes to validate a transaction or something like that or a block or something like that. Um, Ethereum uh, uses a different model and so it's much slower to validate transactions, but it is slow for a company that wants to develop a game where people are playing to earn. And that's Axie Infinity, which are the guys who uh, um, who, who were ultimately hacked. Um, so they, they had a problem. They wanted people to be able to earn ETH and pay ETH and uh, uh, but to you know communicate directly with the Ethereum blockchain, we bring the game to a grinding halt. So they develop their own blockchain, and what happens is um, you, you know instead of transferring ETH to to their blockchain, what you do is you develop basically it's software. Bridges is, is software. Basically, what you do is you develop what's called a bridge, and the transaction works as follows: um, somebody buys, let's say they buy uh, two ETH on the Ethereum blockchain. What happens is that that ETH actually does not move from the Ethereum blockchain to Axie Infinity. What happens is the bridge itself locks one ETH, okay, from the Ethereum blockchain and uh, releases the equivalent on uh, on the Axie uh, uh, blockchain. Okay, so what? So there actually is no movement of funds. It's it's just like so so uh, I buy two buy two ETH on Ethereum. They basically lock it there and release two on Axie Infinity. Then reverse, we're going to sell from Axie Infinity back to the Ethereum blockchain. So they lock two on the Ethereum blockchain, 
uh, on the Axie Infinity blockchain, Synergy Ethereum. Essentially, in this bridge, we have locked coins, and we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of locked coins that sit in this bridge. The purpose of that is just to make it faster and to save on, on gas fees, for example, to make. And so these have become a prime target for hackers because they don't have the same security protocols that the blockchains themselves have. And the coins are basically locked there. They're sitting there. So if they can get in, which is exactly what these hackers did, uh, it's it's they're in clover, man. It's like they're in they're in paradise. They've just got and that's why we've had a billion dollars of of uh, of uh, bridge hacks in in the last 12 months of course one of the things that the hackers were using is what is called in the crypto space a mixer um as so we have this bizarre situation where these hackers made off with this more than 500 million dollars but they couldn't offload it fast enough because the market was tanking so you know they're, they're like uh, traders desperately trying to exit their position um, but just talk about these mixers and how that fits into the puzzle, because th this is something that came up with the Mirror Trading International, which was the, the, the big crypto scam that happened here in South Africa, where it, when you want to disguise the origin of a crypto, you put it into a mixer, basically like scrambling an egg. So is this something that they were using, these North Korean hackers? Absolutely. Uh, the mixer they use is called Tornado Cash, which is like destination number one for hackers. There's something to know about the crypto space is that, you know, the centralized exchanges, they are actually very regulated by now. And it's something that people don't know. You know, uh, regulators and law enforcement, they've actually clamped down so that we don't get the huge hacks that occurred in the early days of crypto. Uh, because when you sign up on a centralized exchange, it's like signing up for a, for a bank, you know, you, 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 have, you have to go through, you know, KYC, which is know your customer, which is basically uh, you have to show your ID and prove that you're, you know, a real person and that you only have one account, et cetera. And, and so if you're a crook and you're, you know, you've just stolen $100 million, a blockchain is completely transparent. You can see what wallet that went into. It's not like robbing a bank and, you know, jumping into a van with no, with no plates and then going off. It's like your plates are recorded. They're registered at the local office. You're like, oh, you know. And, and so um, everybody knows where the money goes. If you then go to a centralized exchange and withdraw it and you've gone through this regulatory procedure of verifying who you are, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's impossible. It's like it's actually very difficult to get the cash out. So we come into the other side of the world, which is not decentralized finance, which is, which is a little bit of like where the Wild West stuff still exists because it's a, it's a, a bunch of technology where nobody really owns it. And it's, it's software. Basically, you put software online and you can connect your wallet and you can move money around and nobody's in charge of these decentralized pieces of software. As I said earlier, you know, I mean, crypto is completely transparent. It's like... It's, it's very difficult to make off with cash. So basically what they do is, is they take uh, like a million bucks of, of crypto, shove it into Tornado Cash from an address, okay? And what Tornado Cash does is it mixes that cash with a bunch of other people's cash, and then you can withdraw it from a different wallet address. So you actually, it, it completely obfuscates the source of, that, uh, of those stolen crypto funds and authorities don't really know, you know, when the money comes out, uh, where it came from. I say that with a bit of hesitation, authorities don't really know, because I'm going to be quite honest, talking to people that I've been talking to, I get the feeling the authorities and the, and the blockchain analytics guys know a lot more than we think. Yeah, but, but okay, that's the theory. Um, another important thing that, that these Ronin hackers did 
is, um, you know, they didn't dump a million into Tornado Cash because if you see a million coming in and then some random wallet address takes a million out, I mean, you pretty much know who put that in. So what they did is they, they took the million or whatever they took, I think one of the transactions, actually 100 million, it was insane. They sent 100 million to one wallet then that wallet sent it to another wallet. <laughs> then that wallet sent it in batches of 100 each to Tornadoes. You know, they're really trying to dilute and mix the source of the funds so that it can finally go into Tornado Cash. And I'm imagining, you know, they must have a thousand wallets coming out of Tornado Cash. And this is the problem with DeFi, with decentralized finance, is that they don't have the same know your customer regulations in place as the centralized exchanges do. So theoretically, you know, you could have one person with a million wallets and that's probably how they're going to try and get the cash out on the other side of the tornado. Right. I think just to be clear, then your centralized exchanges would be exchanges like um, Luno that we have in South Africa or Valor or Alcoin Trader, where you have a central point of control. Your decentralized exchanges would be something like Uniswap, which is just really um, you know, a piece of software sitting out there with no centralized control at all. Um, but you can trade cryptos uh, on, on both of these. But I, I think the point that you made is that the centralized exchanges have gone very far in complying with regulations or what they expect will become the regulations. And they do apply know your customer regulations and, and anti-money laundering regulations. So you wrote another story called Crypto criminals walk free because of lack of resources. Now, what struck me about that story is there seems to be little justice for the small investors who lose a few thousand rands in cryptos. All the attention from law enforcement seems to be on these big multi-million dollar scams and, and heists. Now, police just don't seem to have the resources to follow up on all the smaller crimes that take place in the space. But that's changing, right? Explain why that is. Uh, just to clarify, I, I had the same thought that, oh, it's it's small change and that's why they're not going for it. And uh, the, the the lawyer I spoke to for that article actually clarified for me, it's not so much the value of the of the crime. It's it's really how much of an open and shut case it is. Yes, because of a factor of resources, because they don't have the time. And, and we're talking about on the, on the prosecution side, not so much the cops, because the, the, the criminal prosecution service doesn't have the resources to to like, they, they, let's say they get a hundred cases or a thousand cases. And, you know, if they see one, oh, this, we got everything we need, no doubt this person's going to go to court. They're going to get convicted. End of story. They'll take that on, but they just don't have the, the manpower to, to take on the others where, uh, you know, oh, they got to investigate a bit here and go there. And so, uh, you know, I, the, the, the factor of uh, where the money, the value of it does come into it when those people then want to take a civil route because they're, you know, they've, the, the thing was not prosecuted criminally, so they want to get some justice and they go the civil route. Yeah, that's where it becomes not worth it. And that's where the value, the small time crime uh, does become a factor because let's say they've lost, uh, the, the, the lawyer I spoke to was in the UK, let's say they've lost a thousand pounds, about 10,000 rand. And, you know, civil lawyers, they cost money, they have to be paid to get court orders and everything. They're going to spend twice that much or more in order to try and obtain, obtain, obtain justice. So the way I see it, you know, these criminals, they see this as a great, a great opportunity because they know that the, um, the, 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 the small-time crimes are probably not going to go the criminal route because they're under-resourced and not going to go the civil route either because you, you, you're not going to end up losing. Crypto is always supposed to be 
a way to remain relatively anonymous in doing these financial transactions. But we're learning that there are ways of cracking down on criminals. For example, crypto exchanges are cooperating with police around the world to identify and stop the movement of stolen funds in the way that you've just been describing. What did you find out about this, this relatively new frontier in law enforcement in the course of your investigation? I was absolutely amazed at how much the cops know. <laughs> the technology that exists, uh, it, it's, it, you know, I mean, the blockchain analysis companies like Elliptic and Chainalysis are very sophisticated. Um, you know, as a, as a computer programmer myself, I mean, I haven't programmed in the blockchain area, but I've, that's my background. I can, I can see now that I've spoken to these people how this works. And it's actually very simple. You, you, you've got a lot of logged transactions and then you just got to do some fancy footwork in the back, which is not so difficult to start drawing patterns and seeing where these funds are going. And it's very easy. You just need the things in place. Now, it seems like the, the law enforcement guys uh, have this as well and a few other tricks up their sleeve which we don't really know about um I, I, this is the impression i got uh, from speaking to people um so it's it's and it's very fascinating uh what abilities they do have so yes the idea of complete anonymity is pretty much gone i think you know if we do want to bring security and safety to to retail investors i think we do have to have some of that coming into the decentralized area um, but yes, they, the technology is, is quite amazing. It's very simple. Elliptic was telling me that they have, uh, I, I forget the numbers, but something like a million um, uh, addresses labeled so they know who the addresses belong to. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of tracking of crypto funds and where it goes. And so it's becoming more difficult for the crooks to get their money out. Another interesting statistic here on that, that Elliptic gave me is that only 1% of, of uh um, transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain are actually fraudulent. So it's there's a very low amount of of um, crime happening, you know, on the actual chain. Uh, but yeah, the crooks are trying to find other ways to get in there and and steal and all those things. One oh, percent of all transactions on the on the Bitcoin blockchain being fraudulent. I mean, that sounds quite high to me. Um, but I, I think I recall. I think the numbers are high, and I, and they didn't. They were not willing to to give the numbers out. Yes, I, I believe they are. But I think card transactions you'll find even a higher percentage. Um, if if I remember correctly from from memory, but uh, it it still is a frightening amount of uh, of bad actors out there. Paolo Delgado, we're going to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, giving us a little bit more insight into this rather interesting North Korean group. And, um, and one just wonders, what on earth is the motivation if these are state actors or if they're private actors? If they're state actors, you know, that, that would certainly be uh, almost like an act of war, I would imagine. But if they're private actors, um, their timing seems to have been a little bit off because, you know, they, they stole money and they watched half of that value disappear while they're trying to get rid of it and, and offload it onto the market. So uh, I'm sure you're going to keep us up to date on this hack. Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me, Kieran. Great stuff. Paula Delgado, thanks for joining us on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za 
or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.